Welcome to Entrust Equipping Leaders. Our podcast aims to encourage you as a leader and as an equipper, trainer, discipler, and mentor of leaders. Today, you'll get a sense of why Entrust exists. Host Lori Lind has a wide-ranging conversation with Entrust CEO Chris Garee, including some of the whys and hows of church leadership training around the world. Thank you, Chris, for joining us on Equipping Christian Leaders today. It's really wonderful to have you as a guest on this fledgling podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. So we'll just go right in. We're, we're referring back to an article that you wrote for our blog on Equipping Christian Leaders called Training Church Leaders to Meet the Great Need. Um, it was published back in August of 2021, so I really want to invite our listeners to go back and read that article and um, find the interesting things that Chris had to say, the compelling case he built for why it's important to train leaders in the, for the church today. And I would like to start by asking you, you had some really interesting statistics that seem to kind of lay the case for why it is important to train leaders. Um, you mentioned like that something like over 2 million pastoral leaders serve the church worldwide today, and only about 5% have had pastoral training and 50,000 newly baptized believers emerging every day. Where do we find some of those numbers? Those particular numbers come from the World Christian Alliance. And I first heard those numbers at a conference from Dallas Theological Seminary. Dr. Ramesh Richard does work literally around the globe, focusing mostly on India. And he has used those numbers from the World Christian Alliance to educate believers around the world about the great need. Wow. I mean, that's just huge that 2 million people serving churches without any or adequate pastoral training. I mean, that's just overwhelming. Where is that most of that growth in newly baptized believers taking place? That is in the majority world, not in the West currently, although we do expect to see the Lord do a great and amazing things uh, in the West and revive that part of the world. South America, uh, the Middle East, what's now commonly referred to as the global South. Uh-huh. So people are just coming to Christ in droves. And then, they of are. course, they need to be in a church and they need good leadership. Um, even the, the, the fact of the baptizing them, who's baptizing one another in those worlds that you know of? <laughs> yes, I believe that would be probably the senior leader, you know, someone who came to faith more um, a longer period of time ago than the one being baptized. Really, um, a lot of people, Lori, that are leaders in the church these days, it is not their, it is not their vocation. You know, they're, they're merchants, they're tailors, they're, they're workers, and the Lord has raised them up to do great work as layman church leaders. Not everyone gets paid to do that job. And so someone who is seen as a leader in the church because they love Jesus, they love the scriptures, and they feel called to invest in people. It's really an all hands on deck in the church around the world. And I think that's a healthy, a healthy thing, but we do need leaders uh, trained in a church. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how do these people become leaders? And I think you kind of answered that. But is there more to that? Like, how does someone suddenly be, find themselves leading a congregation and without having been to seminary and all the things we think of in the West? Yeah, I think for a, there are a couple of ways to answer that question. One, I truly believe is just calling. 
the Lord calls people, he equips people. And then because we're supposed to be salt and light, Lord, what happens is then the people around them see this person has the hand of the Lord on them to serve and to bless and to care for and to train and to teach. So I think that the community really should be aware of the Lord's work in a person's life. We, in fact, have a seminary that is an international seminary in South Africa. And it's international because many nations uh, across uh, the continent of Africa send their best and brightest um, from their countries to ICBM in South Africa. And I think that the reason that happens is because the community realizes the Lord is with this person. The Lord is choosing to bless us through this person. And then they're sent for equipping. And in a way, you know, thinking about that one could think, well, that's fantastic. The Lord has called them. He's given these people certain gifts. The community kind of affirms this. Um, why would we need to enter in and provide training for these people then? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is still in the world a, a disparity of resources. And the West has been gifted with tremendous theologians, with seminaries and with structures and just finances too, honestly. And so giving back uh, globally, I think is uh, critical for the advancement of the kingdom as we humbly serve and invest. You also said in your article that one of the dangers of having not adequate, adequately equipped pastors would be this kind of like syncretism or non-biblical philosophies. Can you Talk more about that. How does that develop? What does that really mean? It's a, it's a, it's a blending. Um, it is a blending of old beliefs or beliefs from another religion, beliefs from theology outside of, of scripture that they then take and then blend those concepts with the, with the scripture and um, not healthy for anyone involved. Yes. I think maybe we've heard of that, like in, um, certain cultures where there's a, a traditional faith and it gets a little bit mixed up with Christianity and some of the practices are a little bit of both and it, it becomes a little unclear what's truly biblical and what isn't. I wonder though, I'm just thinking now, does that happen in the West as well? Those of us from the, the West might mix up a bit of our cultural understandings with biblical things too and need correction. I'm just wondering. I'm sure that happens in every place around the world. It's one of the, the beautiful things about how the spirit of God leads us is through sanctification. The more we know the Lord, we know more we know the scriptures. He leads us to loving him more, worshiping him more, and then gently correcting uh, attitudes, correcting concepts, correcting behaviors. So literally around the globe, the plan is for the Lord to draw us more and more closely to him that we might more accurately reflect Christ. And is that true in the West? Um, yes, absolutely it is. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I love what you said about the, that gently, even as in trust comes alongside um, existing leaders or potential leaders in different parts of the world, I'm guessing then that the, the desire is to be gentle, to not be that here we are, we have all the answers and or we are right and you are wrong. But um, how do we kind of achieve that um, helping a, a person who is really shepherding a church and thinks they're doing quite well. Um, what's how, how does that process even work in a, in a kind and loving way? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's a very new, very nuanced uh, question. I hope to give an, an answer that's uh, palatable. I, to me, the first thing is just humility, coming in and realizing what an honor it is to serve, what an honor it is to serve the Lord and to serve people. But then relationships, building a relationship. It's it's uh, when I need advice, when I need help or training, I go to friends, I go to people that I know, I go to people that I trust. Um, if that if that's not possible, then who do my friends know that they can bring in uh, to help me with with things? We all want to be lifelong learners. Uh, my attitude, I want to be a lifelong learner. I desperately want that. And so hoping that other people wish that as well. You build a relationship, you build trust, there's care and compassion, and we're supposed to have the mind of Christ and the attitude of Christ. And we know that our Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, is uh, has come as a meek and humble servant. So as we build those relationships and come in with meekness and humbleness, with the attitude of how can we help and how can we learn? I like that. Yeah, we, we talk a lot in, in, in trust, of course, our key verses, 2 Timothy 2, 2, where it's Paul having learned things that he has entrusted to Timothy. I'm just thinking out loud. I wonder if Paul ever picked up some things from Timothy in reverse, too. And there was a bit of mutual learning and discovery between them. I would certainly think so. Back to what, what Entrust is all about again. Um, how does Entrust kind of determine when we enter into a new culture, a new people group, um, what are some of the ways that Entrust does this or ways that other ministries do just, just determine who needs training and what kind of equipping or training do they need that isn't currently there? Yes, it's based on relationships and starting by asking good questions. What do people need? How might we help? Um, spending time with them, walking with them, and then knowing knowing people that are that are local. And trust does not have the attitude of the West to the rest, where we're going to come in with all the answers. We work with people locally on the ground. We uh, find out what their needs are. We help contextualize uh, training, but then just realizing that everyone needs to know the Lord better. We all want to know the scriptures better and how we might help with that takes a relationship and it takes time then as we come in and then building again, as I mentioned before, the attitude of humble service along the way and who might need the training. I'm, I'm sorry to say much of the world does not have access to training where they might know the scriptures and know the Lord better. So we look for parts of the world that have limited access to the scriptures. That might be due to economics, it might be due to culture, it might be due to geography, uh, politics. There are many things that can be a hindrance to um, systems and structures of training. So we go to, we go to places that then uh, we're wanted, we're needed, we build the relationship. It's a beautiful thing, actually. We're well, we are well received and we always leave feeling uh, mutually blessed. It's kind of a unique calling in a way. Most, not most, but a lot of ministries that we hear of are focused on evangelism or scripture translation or caring for orphans and various things like that. And trust doesn't as such, that's not our primary focus at Entrust. Uh, how do you answer people who say, well, what about those things? Aren't those things important? Yeah, it's a, actually, that's a, a pretty exciting question for me uh, with an answer I love to, love to talk about. 
our calling is Second um, Timothy two two, as you said. You know, we're training leaders to invest in others, and I love to hear the story where we've invested in a minister, we've invested in a senior church leader, and then they then go and start orphanages. They then go rescue women who are caught in human trafficking. They then go and are feeding the poor. They then go and are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. It is literally a multiplicative ministry. And it's it's thrilling to me to hear the stories as the, the generations of believers are investing globally so that we don't have to be everything. We're not, we don't pretend to be. We literally um, are educators and we want people to know the scriptures and we want them to know the Lord. And then we launch them into their own calling where they can then live out how the Lord has called them to invest in those communities. And then there's the element of the local church, our tagline, multiplying leaders for multiplying churches. So uh, meeting the great need for leaders around the world. And how does that, that sense of just the body of Christ, the local church fit into that calling and that task? Mm-hmm. I love, I love the church and Jesus loves the church. You know, <laughs> as believers, we're supposed to love the things that Jesus loves Jesus absolutely loves and equips and blesses the church, and so should we. So we love working uh, within the church, within the church body, within the church structure. There's a quote I heard, I don't know who to attribute it to, but the quote is that the church is the bride of Christ, and organizations like Entrust, we're the bridesmaid, and our job is to make the bride look beautiful. So however we can equip the bride, love the bride, present, present the bride, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's humbling and an exciting opportunity. And so as we work with churches literally around the world, they invite us back. We have long-term relationships with people. And I think that really shows the trust that they have based on um, healthy relationships, um, mutual appreciation for many, many years. And trust has been around for about 41 years now. And we have relationships with people dating back from the very beginning, even now. That's true. In fact, maybe, I don't know if you'd like to speak into this, you're about to go to Romania as we record this interview, which is one place where, um, and Trust has quite a long history. Um, What are you looking forward to about that trip? Or how do you see um, and Trust's history developing there with Romanian Christians? It's it's exciting. There's lots of work uh, to be done in Eastern, Southeastern Europe, and the church there is growing. The leaders are hungry. They are wanting to know the scripture. They're wanting to serve the Lord. They're wanting to serve in their particular areas. And so on this trip, it's kind of a, a trip of goodwill. I'm going to meet them. I've not met these particular leaders yet. We have an institute there that um, goes for about three years. And we are starting a a new three-year cycle. And I want to meet, I'm humbled to meet the the new attendees that are there. I want to shake hands. I want to pray for and with the people that are there and help launch them uh, even further into their service uh, of the Lord. Yes, that institute, I'm not sure you, I know it's your first trip there and I've not met those people at that institute either, but how has that worked? Um, I believe it's all Romanian led and Romanian directed at this point where in the earliest days it was uh, Westerners. How how does that kind of work and what type of people 
are they training and where are those people heading? <laughs> yeah, uh, many times when I travel, I am a, a teacher or a facilitator of the scriptures. And for this trip going, but not being the upfront teacher makes me realize that our calling of 2 Timothy 2.2 is actually working. You know, we have been training and equipping for many, many years in Romania. And the people there, they're brilliant, they're intelligent, they're gifted, they're well-educated, they're serving the Lord. And so they are bringing in young ministers that want to be more fully equipped in the scriptures so that they can reach um, their churches and people in that country of Romania with the gospel and with the, with the scriptures. And so it's a, it's a humbling experience and a, quite a thrilling experience for me to be there. And again, being invited to come and uh, watch, listen, learn, and then, you know, hopefully, you know, uh, empower people that are just coming in. It's, it's tremendous. And I trust that's going to be a wonderful um, opportunity for you, a great chance to meet some amazing people. You know, back to the idea about um, coming into a culture or a country and being humble and ready to help and equip. I know you recently were on a trip into the Middle East, and I remember hearing a quote about some of the people who are emerging as pastors of little house churches who haven't had a lot of training or any training um, one of our local staff has said those those people, his quote was, they think they know everything. Um, their culture is that if I'm leading a church, I know everything, and whether and they don't even know if they really do or do not know everything. How do you approach a person like that with there might be more that could be helpful to you in your ministry? I would say you approach um, them as you would everyone with meekness and truth getting them in the scriptures, and then ask really pointed questions about practical applications of ministry. Because people, Lori, are very organic, and people do not stay in the box well. So anyone who wants to serve people that think that they know everything, they just need to be around people for a short amount of time. And I think then I think we can all, all agree that we don't know everything. We don't always know the best plan, and we want to know the Lord and serve him well. And and ascertain what's the Lord's plan. You know, what, how, how, who do I need to be? You know, where do I need to be? What do I need to know to come in as a humble servant and invest in people? And I think honestly, with a, with a few good questions about practical application of ministry and who they're investing in and how they're investing, I think you could probably get uh, past some of the facade a little bit. And not, not everyone has that facade, that, that, that's true. But getting past that a little bit, I think, is really helpful um, as well. A second answer to that I really do believe is asking someone, what is their vision? What are they excited about? Where would they like to see this body of believers or the people that they're investing in? Where would they be in five years, in 10 years, 15, 20 years, 50 years? Where do they see it going? And I think honestly, Lori, most of us know that we are not equipped by ourselves to get there. If you have a big vision for serving the Lord, we need to walk in the spirit. We need to know the scriptures. We need to follow the Lord's leading and we need help. It is very much an all hands on deck uh, team. It's the way the Lord created the church. So asking good questions and then finding out what the mission and the vision is and then finding out where people might need some help along the way. There's a phrase that I like to use sometimes for people. I'll say they are delightfully aggressive. 
And I've just seen the Lord really work in powerful ways through people that have a vision. They, they know their mission. They are aggressive. They, they want to storm the castle. They just need to know the best way to do that and how to be a humble servant leader as they're being uh, aggressive. And, you know, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is quite aggressive and yet humble um, and our Savior who loves us. So we really we want to reflect those things. You know, I liked your last statement in your article when you you concluded with saying, why train leaders? And then you said, because well-trained leaders can effectively equip the saints to carry on our responsibilities to fulfill the great commission and the great commandment until our Lord returns. I mean, that pretty much says it all. I'm wondering if you have any additional thoughts on this whole topic of why train leaders, the value, the effectiveness, any, anything else you'd like to just add to what you said there? Mm-hmm. Well, it's the Lord's calling. It's the Lord's mandate. We're, we, we're supposed to invest in people. We're supposed to advance the kingdom. You know, as Jesus talking about loving our neighbor, this is a global world that we're living in, in now. And the reach is tremendous with air travel, with uh, the internet. We're really able to be in many places. And I I think that our neighbor literally used to be right next door. But I think now our neighbor neighbor is um, literally the entire world. And we're supposed to love them and care for them. And Jesus is talking to us and we're the, he's the vine, we're the branches. And as Jesus said that he's the vine, we're the branches, we're supposed to be in him and then bear much fruit. And that's what we're talking about. When a trust talks about training, investing, seminars, conferences, Bible institutes, what we're talking about, Lori, we're talking about fruit. We're talking about being in the vine, about being healthy branches and bearing fruit. And by the grace of God, he's called us to bear fruit literally around the world. It's very uh, humbling. It's really exciting. It was our Lord Jesus who said that when we pray, we should pray to the Father to raise up new laborers for the harvest. The fields are white. And if someone's listening to this and they think, that does sound thrilling to reach the world for Christ. It does sound amazing to be a humble servant. They should contact us. We do have openings. We are literally praying constantly for more laborers for the harvest. And it could be that people hearing the sound of my voice or reading a transcript of this later might feel a calling from the Lord. Um, Whether they're a young person just out of a seminary or a Bible college or have training, an older person uh, nearing retirement, someone uh, in their middle age that feel like they have been equipped, but that the, the world is calling to them. We would love for them to contact us at our website and we'd love to talk with them because uh, the needs are great. And by great, I mean huge. Uh, We really do want to reach people. There is a sense of urgency right now in the ministry, which is exciting, but but this will not be solved in a day. And so we need generations of workers to enter into the harvest. You've been listening to Entrust CEO Chris Garee describing Entrust, its history and philosophy of ministry. Keep checking back right here for upcoming episodes of Entrust Equipping Leaders about equipping women in ministry, training leaders online, and contextualization in leadership training. And as always, visit our website to learn more about us, entrust4.org. Entrust the number 4.org.